As you know, we've been, uh, we've been in a series called Kingdom Power. We've actually been talking about the kingdom of God um, all year this year, and I, I've, I've got just so much out of that. I hope you have as well. Um, and today we are carrying on uh, talking about kingdom power in the context of the freedom that Jesus has won for us. And I'm really privileged to be speaking on this incredible topic. So let's just jump straight into it. Okay. John Mayer is a famous singer-songwriter and, in my opinion, one of the greater guitarists of our time. He penned some lyrics, probably a few years ago now, with his then-girlfriend, Katy Perry. And it says this in, in one of the choruses. It says, you love who you love who you love. You can't make yourself stop dreaming who you're dreaming of. If it's who you love, then it's who you love. Now... The song is actually really good. I think it's quite catchy. So I'm not having a downer at John Mayer at all. But these lyrics are like a stadium-level spotlight on our modern worldview of the self. In one way, you get a sense of this kind of self-determining freedom from these lyrics. You be you. Don't allow any external force or social construct to tell you what to do. And yet, ironically, at the very same time, there is no internal choice, it seems, for the singer. Love here is just a feeling, not a commitment. It's not a pursuit of any truth. It is a desire, a romantic infatuation. And he can't control it. He can't stop it. He is mastered by it. The heart wants what it wants. Do you know who said that? It was Woody Harrelson, uh, not Woody Harrelson, actually, um, Woody Allen. Um, Woody Allen said that in an interview to justify a sexually intimate relationship that he had with his adopted daughter. Now, I'm not here to just um, poke at famous people, because I am well aware that there is a war that goes on in my mind and my body, a tug of war, competing desires. In my more rational moments, I know that I have free choice to make decisions that do me good and other people around me good. But at my worst moments, my emotions run amok. Someone cuts me up on the road and I can't seem to do anything but put my accelerator straight through the floor. Sometimes the mental load from work seems to seep into my home life and my wife and my children and our lodgers feel the tension and sometimes hear the tension of some of that as well. And you will all know something about this war because you too are human. Maybe for you it's uncontrollable anger. Maybe lust that expresses itself in an addiction to pornography. Maybe a seeming inability to stop gossiping about a coworker. A longing for purity with a boyfriend or girlfriend, but continually pressing the boundaries and sometimes going the whole way. You're riddled with guilt and shame, and yet when you're at your best, you know you have an unwavering clarity about what is true and what is good and what is beautiful and honoring to God and others. As humans, what distinguishes us from animals is the self-determining freedom, but we are not rational Creatures, we are desire-driven, and we find ourselves giving in to what the Bible calls the flesh. So what is freedom then? What is, what is the freedom that the world offers us? 
On one hand, no matter your tradition or your faith, most would agree on external evils that we need freedom from. An abusive partner, tyrannical dictators. We can point to slavery in the US and apartheid in South Africa and oppression of women in Afghanistan. But you know, it gets a little hazy when we've been breathing the cultural air for a while. And we start to, sit, start to think that the self has greater authority over every external authority. Authenticity, it seems, is all that matters. So the enemy of freedom becomes a traditional social norm. Maybe your parents, a teacher, the church, scripture, and even God. So that anything or anyone that purports to constrain a felt sense of right and wrong or identity is an affront to entitled freedom. Sigmund Freud, um, whose work has mostly kind of been thrown out by most leading psychologists, and yet his psychology and philosophy are still the air that we breathe. Freud believed that repression of desire is the basis of all neurosis. So when you or somebody over you in authority says no to an authentic, true-to-you desire, that is called repression, because it makes you unhappy and, at worst, mentally unstable. He would say that human beings are animals, just run by their instinctual desires for pleasure, and when we repress said desires, we suffer. So, for instance, the Bible has a clear command when it comes to sex, only to be enjoyed within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman, and for very good reason. Yet modern society would call that oppression because it is outwardly imposed, say, by the Bible and held up by the church, or it's called repression if it's internally imposed. Modern society would call it a sin to not allow you to run with your feelings. You have a duty to follow your heart. The self exists to be explored, indulged, and expressed, not restrained or disciplined. It seems do not deny yourself is the rule of the day. But Freud's psychology, it was like kindling to a smoldering wick at the time that people heard it. Because next came the sexual revolution, helped enormously by the pill that was incredibly helpful to women in so many ways, but also opened up Pandora's box. Now there was no reason to restrain men and women from promiscuity. But what have these freedoms really won for us? In some ways, the value put on the self has helped enormously uh, and brought about a significant move to equality of the genders, and civil liberties that stopped the denial of people of a certain race um, from human rights. So it could be argued that this value put on the self has been really helpful. But not many would deny that our culture is in decline. There is more mental illness and confusion now. Young people are trying to perform to a self-imposed identity, which sounds like freedom, but actually ends up being slavery to an ever-changing set of rules, which are ironically um, imposed by, it seems, the new Pharisees and elites of our time. And these rules are like shifting sand. And if your identity is shifting, it's incredibly dangerous, which we've already seen. 
And you know that the predominant winners of the sexual revolution are mostly promiscuous, narcissistic men and pharmaceutical conglomerates that are selling unprecedented medical treatment for sexually transmitted diseases. The winners are not women. And human slavery is at an all-time high in our society. Around 40.3 million people enslaved right now. And it generates on average $150 billion a year. It's why we partner with agencies like A21, so that we can play any part we can in the eradication of modern slavery. Freedom without restraint is a disaster waiting to happen. It's too easy to abuse, and yet... Jesus came proclaiming freedom for the captives. Surely not freedom from, from like that. Surely not freedom like this. He couldn't have died for that kind of freedom. So what is the freedom that Jesus gave his life for? Well, I think it's time that we turn to our Bibles. So if you can open up uh, your Bible, if you've got it with you, or if you've got a device, turn to Galatians 5, and we're going to read verse 1, and then we're going to skip down and read from verse 13 to 26 as well. So here goes. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Scroll down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. I would definitely encourage you to read the whole book of Galatians. It will not take you very long. Uh, And in fact, it will be really good because next spring, we're going to be going through a whole series looking at the book of Galatians. But just quick context. The Galatian church started so well. They received the gospel of Jesus, knowing that it was a free gift of grace, not by any merit of their own. And they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which empowered them to live out these ways of Jesus. But very quickly, it seems, these false teachers came in and started saying that the Galatian churchgoers needed to add to the gospel the Mosaic law. They needed to start keeping to festivals, festival days, 
All the men should be circumcised. These guys must have been pretty persuasive. Um, so Paul's opening line is basically saying, Jesus came to free you from all of that. He was saying, you were powerless to keep to the law because of the will of your flesh. And we'll go on to explain what that means. But rather than focus in on that group that were tempted to go back to the law that enslaved them initially, we're going to focus on the second group that we've just read about, where Paul's addressing those who were using their new freedom from the law to give into sinful desires. Something probably that the false teachers were trying to deal with by returning to codes and rules. But we'll see soon from Paul as he shows us a better and much more powerful way. So in this context, the word flesh refers to these base animal-like instincts and desires. It refers to fallen human nature, the center of human pride and self-willing. Flesh is the category given to indulgence and self-assertion. It's actually the antithesis of love because it is a desire turned in on itself. It's our cravings, sinful passions, and corrupt desires. I want what I want, and I want it now. Some desires lead to life and flourishing, and others lead to much less than the human destiny that God had in mind for us, and ultimately to destruction. If you've got a pet, you will know that they don't have the capacity or freedom to sacrifice a base desire now for a future good. Yeah? This was perfectly demonstrated um, by our our cat, Ozzy, about a month ago. We invited some of our friends to a final barbecue of the year. Uh, We South Africans call that a braai. And uh, one of... One of the friends that we had around was um, uh, my friend Natalia, who some of you know. If you've known Natalia for anything more than sort of five minutes, you'll know that she really doesn't like bugs and creepy crawlies and germs and dirt and pretty much just animals generally. Um, well, while we were sat down, you know, getting into some really perfectly cooked meat, um, our cat decides that this was the perfect moment to go for a David Attenborough's planet Earth type stalk, prey, kill pigeon. And right in front of all of our friends and all of the kids, suffocating this pigeon, feathers flying everywhere, blood smeared on the pavement, It was a complete and utter mess. But Ozzy didn't have a choice, right? The poor cat didn't have the freedom to make a decision that transcended its base animal instinct for gratification in that moment. He didn't have the sensitivity and the emotional intelligence to think, you know, I've seen Natalia and she gets weirded out by this kind of stuff. I'm going to put that off for today in order for the good of all these other people around here. I'm going to sacrifice my good for them. He wasn't designed with that potential. But we, on the other hand, are different. We have self-determining freedom, and yet so often we give in to base-level cravings. Hopefully not preying on pigeons, but probably something similar to Paul's flesh list here, right? 
Augustine, one of the early church fathers, said, it's not wrong to love. It's what we love. It's that we love the wrong things or we love the right things in the wrong order. It's good to love your children if you have them to the point even that it costs you a lot in many ways. But if, if they become the central focus of your life, then you're actually shifting into idolatry. It's good to work with excellence and wanting to pursue a good career. But if a comparison of others and their wage in the same field as you is a constant thing on your mind, then you've probably shifted into idolatry. Disordered loves wreak havoc. They start to master you. And in Paul's language, you become enslaved. So what is it that we need freedom from? You know, Jesus spent so much of his time trying to help people to understand who the real enemy was. He kept getting questions about Roman occupation and oppression. And what he did is he continued to divert his followers' focus away from external oppressors and toward a much more deadly slave owner, sin. I want you to turn to Ephesians 2, um, verse 1 to 5, uh, if you've got your Bibles. This is one of the richest passages in the whole of Scripture. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. The early church fathers taught that there were three enemies of the soul. And these enemies are actually here in this bit of scripture that we've just read. The devil, the flesh, and the world. The ruler of the kingdom, the heir, is the devil, and his main strategy is to lie to us, to lie about who God is and what he's like, to lie about who we are, our identity and our authority that we have as image bearers of our creator, and to lie about what the good life really is, what human flourishing is really all about. And there is a fascinating dialogue that Jesus has with some Pharisees in the gospel of John in chapter 8. And unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to go into it. But in verse 33, there's, there's something that Jesus says so profound. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Pharisees got super angry about this because they were saying, well, I'm not a slave. Like, what do I need freedom from? And, and they went on to say, well, we are, we are the legitimate, legitimate children of God. And Jesus holds absolutely nothing back. And he says, you are not children of God. If you were, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. And then in verse 44, he says, if you, you, speaking to the Pharisees, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you, will don't, you do not believe me. The devil's strategy is to sow deceitful ideas. Often half-truths. Not like blatant lies, things that don't really affect me, like, I don't know, Michael Jackson is still alive or something like that. It, just, it wouldn't affect me at all. 
I don't really, it doesn't really bother me. But maybe what about something a little closer, a little closer to home? How about sexual exploration is the key to living a satisfied and happy life. So go on, open that webpage. Or go and have a wild night on the town and just open yourself up and see what happens. Now, in the cold light of day, when you're sitting in church, listen to a preacher, that might not be very enticing. But when you isolate it, deceptive ideas have power. And the reason they have a lot of power is because of enemy number two, which is the flesh. These lies, they play into hardwired desires in the human heart that are bent in the wrong direction. They're disordered. A longing to rid yourself of loneliness, maybe, or um, something that gives you a sense of purpose. Maybe it's a lie that plays into a craving you've been developing over days and weeks and months and years. And by giving in to a fleshly desire, one that is now deep down and harming you, one that is causing relationship breakdown, with God and with fellow humans. We're going to be focusing a bit more on what that flesh is, but one of the reasons it's so difficult to win over on these first two enemies is because our society is bent in that direction as well. It normalizes those behaviors. On your better day, you know they are destructive, but the world seems to believe the lies and encourages us to give in to them. John Mark Homer, in his brilliant book, Live No Lies, summarizes the war on our souls like this. Deceitful ideas, the devil, that play to disordered desires, the flesh, that are normalized in a sinful society. Now that all sounds like doom and gloom, doesn't it? But it's good to know your enemy. And believe me, there is hope coming in the form of the greatest power there is on earth. And it's right in this passage in Galatians. How do we fight the cravings of the flesh? We live and walk in the power of the Spirit. You see, this is where Christianity is unique in, against any other religion, philosophy, ideology. Because it goes beyond willpower to free you from bad behaviors or addictions and unhelpful thinking patterns. Jesus offers spirit power. Willpower is not wrong. I mean, I'm hoping we all are using and utilizing willpower because willpower is a muscle, isn't it? The more you use it, the more strength you have to overcome something you're trying to change in your life. But actually, willpower is pretty feeble against some real tough stuff in life, maybe trauma or abuse, father or mother wound in your life, an addictive pattern that's rooted in something deeper. Willpower doesn't really have a lot to offer in that way. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And in the passage we just read, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's by the spirit and truth that we are transformed into the image of Jesus and set free to live in line with all that is good and beautiful and true. The devil wants to deform us into his image that leads to disorder and destruction, but Jesus wants to form us into his image. And he does this in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God leads us into all truth. He is the indwelling presence of God. 
You might be saying, well, yeah, Sean, give me that power. Where's the, where's the spirit of power? I want it right now. Well, unfortunately, it's not a quick fix. Walking by the spirit is not just a feeling of being touched by the spirit, an experience that leaves you with feelings of joy and peace. Now, these are real, and God can certainly break a stronghold in a moment, maybe even today. I believe it. I've prayed for it, and I've known it happen. But walking by the Spirit is not chasing feelings. Don't seek a warm, tingly feeling. Seek to grow in the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul makes it really clear that we have agency. We have been given minds with incredible capacity. And Jesus won our freedom on the cross and destroyed the power of sin and death for freedom's sake. And our role in this is to use our freedom to sow to the Spirit rather than so to the flesh. What we give our thoughts and attention to, how we react to how people treat us, every decision is either sowing to the spirit and therefore weakening the flesh, and in Paul's language, crucifying it, or we sow to the flesh and weaken our spirits. And if we sow to the flesh, we create an insatiable monster that keeps needing feeding and feeding and feeding until it eats you and kills you. So let's talk about some ways that we can walk by the Spirit. Loving your neighbor. (laughs) Did you notice that Paul, in this Galatians passage we read, talked about walking by the Spirit and loving a neighbor almost interchangeably? He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather serve one another humbly in love. You walk in the power of the Spirit when your heart is bent towards love. And not just the idea of love, actually putting it into action. Serving one another, sacrificing for one another, putting others before yourself, denying yourself. Putting yourself in positions that it's even possible to love. And we facilitate loads of it here. It could be life groups or serving opportunities or DNA groups and stuff like that, which is great. But where are you initiating opportunities to serve others and love others in this way? Love is the greatest constraint on our flesh. A truly loving friendship and a loving relationship requires a crucifying of our flesh. Because to gain intimacy, you have to sacrifice autonomy. And this is what Jesus did, isn't it? He did it perfectly on the cross, and he is the freest man who ever lived. Secondly, practicing the ways of Jesus, giving our attention to Jesus. Every time you practice a habit of Jesus, your spirit gets a little stronger and your flesh gets a little weaker. What am I talking about? I'm talking about time with Jesus. I'm talking about reading his word. I'm talking about praying, worshiping, Silence, solitude, fasting, confession. Whatever we give our attention to is also who we give permission to shape who we are. Let me just say that again. Whatever we give our attention to, we also give permission to shape who we are. Small, regular habits and disciplines that open our minds up to the spirit and close them off to the flesh. Spiritual disciplines give us access to a power beyond ourselves. They open us up to the spirit of Jesus who is God's empowering presence. If you're not giving daily attention and devotion to Jesus, then you're missing out 
on a power that has been won for you. If you're not fully taking hold of this, you're missing out on a freedom that's been won for you. And I really don't want that to sound like condemnation. And yes, there, is, there are seasons in life. Believe me, I know it full well. But sometimes, don't you think that we use that excuse? We say that to each other a lot. Well, it's a season. But then a month goes by, a year goes by, and you've just completely lost ground. And you go day to day, and you're just anxious. You don't have peace. You're angry. You're riddled with kind of guilt and shame, a lack of purpose. You lose clarity because the enemy of your soul has been able to take ground. It's here in these moments, reading over scripture again and again, asking the spirit to reveal a lie that you have believed and giving him time and giving time to finding the truth of his word and replacing that lie with the truth. And believe me, It's more often not exciting, (laughs) but it's warfare of the winning kind. Because as you behold him, you are transformed by him, and you crucify your flesh, and you take thoughts captive. You've got to start there. Sowing to the spirit rather than to the flesh. When you open yourself up to the power of the spirit, you become empowered and free to make choices that sow to the spirit and therefore to life and flourishing. You know, there is no switch, I wish there was, for your desires and feelings or emotions. You can't control them, but you can influence them. You can have a say. Because our feelings generally follow our thinking. So if you want to augment your emotions, you should change the way you think about what you think about. You can control what you focus on. We will always be tempted but we do have a way, have a say in how often we are tempted. When I was 19, which is a very long time ago now, <laughs> I got into a sin cycle. I would watch uh, pornography, and then I would be riddled with guilt. And I, I couldn't pray for a couple of days, because I had in mind that God was like this angry kind of father. But he was only angry for a couple of days, and then I would pray, and then I would ask for forgiveness, and I would say, I'm never going to do that again, but deep down I knew I would. And it got to a moment that I just said, enough is enough. And I cried out to God, and in that moment, God seemed to show me two visions. 20 years down the line, a life sown to the flesh And what that looked like was a bit more of that kind of stuff and way worse. And a life sown to the spirit. I had thought that the big decisions in life are the important ones, the most significant ones. Who you marry, do I go to university or not? What career am I going to go into? But in that moment, he showed me that those decisions pale in comparison to the decision to be with him early in the morning before I go to work, the daily habit of breathing him in and flushing the world out. Because your daily habits filter the daily decisions that either sow to the spirit or to the flesh. Do I give my attention to Jesus and his ways or do I use my time for something else? Now I am not saying that since that moment 
I have sown everything to the spirit rather than to the flesh. Not at all. But that was the last time I ever looked at pornography. I ripped the hard wire out of my computer in my student room. Back then there was no Wi-Fi, so no hard wire internet, no pornography. And I spoke to some friends I trusted and asked them to be ruthlessly accountable with me. I literally fled temptation in this area of my life. And any time now there is a film on with any shred of intimacy, I'm the guy that fast-forwards through it. And you can call me a prude or you're like, I really don't care. I really don't care. Because this is an area of my life that I can say I'm free. I'm free to choose God's best for me and my wife and my family. And other temptations are bigger for me and I've got work to do on these. And I'm not saying this to make me look good at all. I'm saying this to let you know that walking in the power of the Spirit is daily. It's habits. It's in the minutiae type decisions of the heart that set you up for the bigger decisions in life. And if you're a young person here today, sow the seeds of your future freedom. Think about the people that you admire, that you look up to. I tell you, you look up to them because in their life, they have more often sown to the Spirit than to the flesh. They have given countless hours to gazing at the beauty of Jesus and listened to the still small voice of the Spirit leading them into all truth and empowering them to grab hold of the freedom that's been won for them. And in that room on their own, when they have taken their thoughts captive, they have allowed their thoughts to decide on action after action after action. And those actions turned into habits. And those habits turned into character. And those char- that character turned into destiny. So where are you at with all of this? Maybe you're not even a Christian in this place today. And um, you haven't committed your life to Jesus. I tell you, it's a courageous decision. <laughs> Please don't walk into it lightly. Because Jesus will ask you to deny yourself. He will ask you to give up and surrender yourself to him. But believe me, if you do, you will find true and genuine freedom. Maybe you've been trying to get there on your own. It's not possible. (laughs) Because the Bible says that you are dead in your transgressions and sins. Jesus needs to make you spiritually alive. In a couple of minutes, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. But maybe you are a Christian in this place today. And just, just from what you've been hearing so far, you've just realized that I think I've been sowing to my flesh rather than to the spirit. You are spiritually alive. Your salvation is not a question here. But you're not seeing the fruit of the spirit in your life. You are not walking into the freedom that God has for you. And today he wants this to be a moment, a shift, a line in the sand for you. Maybe for you it's just acknowledging where you're at today. Maybe it's that he, needs you, he wants you to repent of sin that's in your life. Maybe he wants you to confess that sin. Maybe to a friend, a trusted friend, or maybe once we have some ministry time here in a minute, you might want to just be prayed for this morning to see what God can do from this moment on and help you and lead you.
So why don't we stand, if we can, together. A band, if, if I can ask you to, to kind of come up and just help us as we kind of close. So for that first group of people, that I, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you, if you don't know Jesus here today, if you haven't surrendered your life to him and said, Jesus, I, I'm giving up on that. I repent. I'm sorry. I'm turning to you. If you've not done that before, just I want everyone just to close their eyes in this moment. I just want to give you an opportunity just to say yes to Jesus. Say, I... I'm trying on my own and it's just, it's not happening. If that's you here today and with eyes closed, it's not for anyone's purpose. Just, just, as, a mo- just as a way of just making a move, making a change, making a commitment. I, w- I wonder if you could raise your hand just right now. Because I just, I want to pray for you. I want to lead you through a prayer. A prayer that says, I'm turning away from the old life and I'm, I'm ready. If that's you, if you could raise your hand. And I wonder if you could just repeat this, this prayer, just in your heart maybe. Jesus, I, I surrender to you. I believe in you. I believe that you are Lord and Savior of my life. I am sorry for going my own way, for trying to do this whole thing on my own. I acknowledge that there is sin in my life and right now I repent, which is turning away from that. 180 degrees, I'm turning Jesus in your direction now. If you pray that prayer, I wonder if you would have the courage. Prayer team, if I can get you to just come to the prayer flag as well at this moment. But I wonder if you could just have the courage to come and pray with one of our prayer team. They can just help you on this journey and pray some more. The next step would be to pray for the Holy Spirit's filling in your life. For you to be baptized in the Spirit, because it's the Spirit, as we've heard, that gives you the power to live the ways of Jesus. And so why don't you make your way right now to our team. For the rest of us, if you feel you're in that other category where it's like you've been living to the flesh and you're sick of it now, (laughs) I wonder if you can just raise your hand. Again, eyes closed. This is just a moment between you and God. I had a prophetic word that just came through from someone else this morning. And I wonder if it might be even for someone here. Um, It was around someone really on the edge in terms of their marriage and just ready to walk out. Had enough. This isn't working. And God wants to restore and redeem. It's never too late. And if that's for you, we want to pray for you. There was another word for anyone who's 
had a past in terms of self-harm and you just riddled with the temptation to go there again, there's power for you today. There's power for you today. Come and receive prayer and help on this as well. If you want to receive prayer this morning as well, our prayer team already right now. For the rest of you, if you didn't put up your hand, that's fine. But I I imagine maybe you are seeing some of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and that is amazing. But we're all on a journey, right? We've still got a lot of work to go on that. But I want to call you and ask to a vision. A vision to be good soil. A vision to be part of a culture here that is rich soil for a life in step with the Spirit. To have the courage with the friends, the ones we love, to pull them out of their sowing to the flesh stuff that you know about and you've not been ready to say it to them. But actually, that's, that's love. <laughs> it's real love and courage. I want us to be a community of believers that when someone comes in, they know straight away, this is a life in the spirit. There is, the good life is here and I want some of that. And you know, that vision goes beyond us. What if that soil goes and invades your workplace or your school or wherever you go after this? And we start creating rich soil for a life of spirit out there in our community. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. And he's given us the power for that. He's won our freedom today. We're about to close, but I wonder if we can just finish with a, a song. I, it feels uh, wrong to, to kind of finish you know, talking about the freedom that God's won for us without celebrating that freedom. And so um, we're going to sing this, this song about the freedom that God's won for us. Why don't we just give ourselves to thanking Jesus for the incredible work that he's done in us. But go out of this place and do something. Tomorrow morning, get with God in his word and start doing the work.